What's up, guys? It's James from Lucrative MMA. I'm back to drop some more knowledge on you. And today we're going to be going through, or I'm going to be doing, the seventh edition of the Lucrative MMA Betting Podcast. I'm a little bit late for the live viewers. I apologize for that. I was just wrapping some graphics up before I started this. So today, or we're going to be talking about... <clears throat> A pretty fun card we got this weekend. It's UFC Vegas 25, headlined by an absolute banger of a light heavyweight fight, Dominic Reyes versus Jiri Prochaska. I can't wait for that fight. I can't wait for a lot of fights on the card, to be honest. And as always, we're going to be getting through it. Now, for those of you who do not know, or if you haven't listened to my podcast before, this is a betting podcast, right? I love watching MMA, but I love betting on MMA even more. And this podcast, how we do it is basically, I don't talk about all the fights on the card. I talk about three different segments I've got in this podcast. The first one, I'll be talking about the most exciting fight on the card. And that's always a tough one to pick. The next thing I'll be talking about is the most inaccurate betting line on the card, right? And then I'll be talking about the main event. And I'll be going over each fight and I'll be talking about the each fight from a betting perspective. So... As I said, you know, I love watching MMA, but I love making money on MMA even more. And I've been able to do that consistently for multiple years now. It is possible to make a second income betting on sports. I know a lot of people, there's a lot of fakes in this industry. And I actually did a video on my Instagram recently, you know, telling people how to avoid fakes. And I am going to post a video to my YouTube channel which if you don't follow me, go and follow me there. I give out a lot of free advice on there. I'm going to be doing a, um, a video on how to avoid fake handicappers in the industry because there is so many out there promising you good picks. They don't put the work in. They don't win money long term, right? Because at the end of the day, only 1% of sports bettors win money long term. I am one of them, but there's not many of them out there. So make sure you avoid them, motherfuckers, like the plague. And as I said, I'm going to put out information on exactly what to look for because a lot of them are, they can be wolves in sheep's clothing. All right. The first thing I want to do, which is a little bit different before I get into the card, the first thing I wanted to do was <laughs> my friend called me earlier, right? And he said, have you heard about this MMA um, organization that is going to space? And I said, what the hell are you talking about, right? So I don't know if you guys have heard of this, but I'm going to basically bring up an article here now and I'll talk you through the article. And anyone who's listening live, you can actually see the screen and you can read the article with me. So the article is headlined, Space is the Final Frontier for the Entertainment Business, starting with this galact galactic reality show. Space 11's first project is Galactic Combat. It's a TV series in which MMA fighters battle it out in a rocket orbiting Earth. No, I'm not making this up. Its founder has plans for 50 more shows. Look, he might have plans for 50 more shows, but I'm not sure if them plans are going to come to fruition because this idea is a bit nuts. Let's just skim the article, right? I'm not going to read the whole thing, of course, but this is absolutely nuts. So, Andrea... Aya Valino, the founder of Space 11, an entertainment company dedicated to producing TV shows. His first TV show or his first up is a reality TV series, Galactic Combat, that will follow 40 mixed martial arts fighters from around the world training to prepare for fights that will take place in space. 
and thus without gravity. The show will chronicle their training for what Ayavalino has coined MMA Zero G Fighting, the new sport. 32 of the contestants will be eliminated during space training, leaving eight to complete to compete in the actual competition. Only the finalists will board a rocket ship and will be and will go into space, where the final fight will take place in the ship as it orbits the Earth for 90 minutes, which is the time it takes for a full round trip up, for a full trip around the planet. First of all, the first thing that sticks out in this is that well, it only takes 90 minutes to orbit the Earth. That's pretty interesting. But look, I'm not really going to go too much more into this because, you know, this at the end of the day, this is um, a, I'm going to be talking about UFC Vegas 25. Right. So I don't want to uh, talk about this too often, but this or too much. But this is absolutely nuts. Basically, what they're going to be doing is sending fighters in a rocket ship up into space. Right. They're going to have them training for multiple months. I think they're going to train for about six to 12 months. They're going to do astronaut training, and the best eight out of the 40 that complete as astronaut training or that do the best in astronaut training are going to be put in a rocket ship, flown up into space, and they're going to fight a mixed martial arts contest in space. I don't know how the fuck that's going to work because there's no gravity in space, right, even in the spaceships. So, I mean, I mean, what the hell? How, how are they going to throw strikes? No gravity is kind of similar to being underwater. So I don't know if you have ever tried to throw a kick or a punch or anything underwater, but it's almost impossible. So I don't know how the fuck they're going to do that. But I just thought it was something interesting that I would uh, would I, I would share with you guys. Anyway, let's get on to the real shit. Let's get on to the real stuff. Okay, so the first thing I'm going to do is talk about the most exciting fight on the card. This was an interesting one, and it always is, right? It's always super hard for me to pick this. Right. Shout out to Oz Tyler watching live. My guy. Yeah. So it's always hard, right, to pick the most exciting fight on the card, because usually in the UFC, there's multiple exciting fights on the card. Right. There's always at least two or three exciting fights, usually a lot more. And it's funny because the most exciting fight on this card that I was going to pick is the main event. Right. But I already talk about the main event or I will talk about the main event on this podcast. So I didn't pick that. The next fight I was going to pick was actually another fight which i have picked instead to to talk about the most inaccurate betting line on the card so i couldn't pick that one either so i've actually had to go down the card and pick another fight so i actually think this is like the third most exciting fight on the card potentially but it's still a very solid exciting fight and that is dustin jacoby versus eon kutilaba now, this fight is going to be an absolute banger. We already know that. It's the most exciting fight on the card I've picked. And usually the most exciting fight I pick on the card it is an exciting fight, right? I rarely get it wrong. And it's not hard to pick an exciting fight. You just know what styles are going to blend. The week just been, the UFC event we had was UFC 261, right? And the most exciting fight I picked on that card was Weili Zhang versus Rose Namajunas. Now, that probably was potentially the most exciting fight on the card, or it was the most maybe memorable fight on the card, but I didn't see it going down like that. But it's still delivered, right, as one of the most exciting fights on the card, at least one of the most exciting moments on the card. Who predicted Rose Namajunas to come out and get a first-round TKO? Look, you could have predicted Rose to win, of course. As I said on my podcast um, last week, the fight is very close. I did think Weili Zhang would be able to wear her down in the later rounds, but I did also say that Rose probably has a better skill set. 
than Weili Zhang. So I'm not at all shocked that she was able to win. I am shocked that she was able to knock her out with a head kick in the first round because I did rate Whaley's durability as extremely high. So, you know, amazing that Rose was able to do that. But back to this week's uh, fight. Dustin Jacoby versus Ion Kutulaba. Now, look, it's not hard to pick an Ion Kutulaba fight to be the most exciting fight on the card because this guy's fights are always exciting. He comes out like an absolute madman. And if he doesn't put you away, he most of the time gets put away. He's gone to decision very rarely in his career. I can remember he went to decision with Jared Cannonier. I don't really remember any other decisions he's gone to. His last fight, he was knocked out brutally by Magomed Ankalaev. The fight before that was obviously the Ankalaev first fight where he was also knocked out. He wasn't knocked out, but he was TKO'd. You know, there's a lot of controversy around that. The ref probably shouldn't have stepped in that early. That's why they had a rematch. Some other fights I remember of him, uh, Glover Teixeira, uh, Khalil Roundtree was an absolute banger. You know, like the guy's been in absolute wars, you know, or just they're not even wars because a war kind of means it goes on for a long time. It's back and forth. His fights are just kind of tornadoes, you know, more than a war. He comes out, storms you, tries to get that offense going, usually looks to take you down consistently, smash you from top position. But his striking defense isn't very good. He is caught oftentimes, and his fight IQ leaves a little bit to be lacking as well, which obviously makes his defense even worse, right? If he's got poor fight IQ, that kind of lends itself into the striking defense, right? They blend together. If you've got someone with poor striking defense but very good fight IQ, they might be able to survive in the striking a little bit longer. If you've got someone with poor fight IQ but good striking defense, they might be able to survive in the striking a little bit longer. If you've got someone with poor fight IQ and bad striking defense, it's a recipe for disaster. And I'm not going to say his fight IQ is absolutely terrible, but I definitely think that it could do with some work. You know, he gets into brawls oftentimes. He leaves his chin up in the air when he comes forward. Um, when he's hurt, he doesn't retreat that well. He makes some questionable decisions. He seems to go into a lot of fights with emotions. You know, I just don't think he's got the best fight IQ. You know, I'm not going to sit here and slay it off that much, but um, I just don't think he's got the best fight IQ, let's say. He's not... He's not like a guy like he last fought, for example, Magomed Ankalaev. Much, much higher level fight IQ. So there's levels to this shit, right? Look, how I see this fight playing down, let me just break down his opponent first, right? Because I haven't talked about Dustin Jacoby. Dustin Jacoby is a striker, right? This guy will come out and uh, try and pick you apart on the feet. That's exactly what he does. He has fought very high level fighters in glory kickboxing. But as we know, this kickboxing doesn't always translate to MMA that well, as we've seen with multiple fighters in the past, right? We saw it with um, Gokan Saki, for example. You know, he was a very high-level uh, glory kickboxer and, you know, kickboxer in general. And he comes into the UFC and gets starched by Khalil Roundtree, of all people. So, um, you know, oftentimes we see these kickboxers, kickbox, kickboxers come in and their style doesn't lend itself to MMA as maybe as much as you think it would, right? Um, Dustin Jacoby, he has kind of seemed to, his style does seem to fit MMA well. Now, he did have an MMA stint a long time ago, like in 2012 and prior to that. And, you know, he got taken down often. He was always getting taken down. He was like a pure striker back then. He took about five years off. And by the way, guys, I don't have any stats up in front of me. So in my podcast, I might make a couple of mistakes. When I say he took five years off, 
maybe he took seven years off, you know, maybe he took three years off, maybe he had one fight in them five years, but you get what I'm trying to say, right? I have a bad memory as well. So forgive me if I'm not hundred percent accurate, but basically what I'm saying is that he took about five years off. Okay. And, um, since he's come back, his takedown defense seems to be very much improved. And he's going to need that here coming against Ion Kutalaba, right? I think Dustin Jacoby has probably better fight IQ. He seems to be a bit more cerebral in his approach to the fight game, in his style. What he does seems to be a little bit more clever, put it that way. Um, I think he's going to be a he's going to need to be very clever here because he's taking on someone who's basically going to bring the fight out in him. He's going to be very wild, Kutalabe, as he always. He's going to be putting the pace and pressure on Jacoby. And we're going to see how he deals with that, you know, because, you know, Kutalabe, say what you want about him. He's got a, quite a few losses in the UFC, but he's been in there with some very, very high-level guys. You know, he's fought at a much higher-level competition in MMA than does to Jacoby. So that could be the difference here. And I am actually predicting... Ian Kutalaba to get the takedowns and to get a stoppage victory, right? I know a lot of people are predicting Dustin Jacoby to win, and I can definitely see that. He's one of the dogs of the week this week. Um, there are quite a few dogs, so if it wasn't on such an underdog popular heavy card, he probably would be the dog of the week because I've seen a lot of people picking him on Twitter. Um, and look, I can definitely see why, right? It seems like if Kutalaba doesn't get that first round stoppage, or that early second round stoppage, he's probably going to lose a decision. He's going to lose minutes, or he probably gets stopped himself. So, you know, a lot of times when you're betting on MMA, you want to bet on the fighter who can win rounds as opposed to the fighter who is kind of relying on a stoppage victory, right? Because what happens if he doesn't get that stoppage victory? He's probably going to lose rounds, which means he'll lose the decision. So I understand that view, but you have to take each fight as it comes. You can't blindly bet the fighter who's better at winning minutes because... If you do that, the fighter who you bet on is going to get knocked out or stopped multiple times. So you have to take each fight as it comes, right? In MMA betting and in sports betting in general, but even more in MMA betting because there's not enough, there's not as much stats out there than the other sports who have, which have been around for 20, 30 years. So anyway, I'm taking this fight at face value and I just feel like even though the takedown defense of Jacoby seems to have been improved we haven't seen it tested with high level wrestlers since he's come back and we haven't seen it tested with high level competition and I will put Ion Kutalaba in that top 15 top 20 of the light heavyweight division which means he's quote unquote high level a lot higher level than Dustin Jacoby has seen in MMA anyway so I'm predicting Ian Kutalaba to come out here get takedowns he might get picked apart for a little bit I think he's going to be tough enough to be able to get takedowns. And I just don't think Jacoby's going to do well in that storm, right? He's going to try to, but I feel like after a while, the chain wrestling style that Kutalaba will need to put forward here to win this fight will probably get, lend itself to him getting takedowns and he's going to win this fight. I'm predicting just Dustin Jack, uh, I'm predicting Ian Kutalaba to win this fight via stoppage. You can currently get Ian Kutalaba at minus 140 and Dustin Jacoby comes back as a plus 110 underdog. Most exciting fight done. The next fight I'm going to be talking about is the most inaccurate betting line on the card. Now, this was second in the running for the most exciting fight on the card. That's why it has to go with the Jacoby and Kutalaba fight because I couldn't talk about two fights, uh, one fight in two segments, right? So the most inaccurate betting line on the card. I don't know if any of you can guess. I'll give you some time to guess. Um, it is Cub Swanson versus Giga Jakartzi, right? Cub Swanson's coming in as a plus 140 underdog. Giga Jakartzi is coming in as a minus 170 favorite. Now, this 
like the most exciting fight in the card, it's always another hard section to pick, right? Because at the end of the day, what is the most inaccurate betting line on the card? So two things. One thing is that you never know what the most exciting fight on the card is until it happens, right? You just you don't know, of course, right? You're only guessing. But we all know that. That's what I'm doing, right? I'm predicting what is going to be the most inaccurate betting line on the card or what I perceive as the most inaccurate betting line on the card. But another thing is that by the time I do this podcast, which is usually, you know, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, it's not super early on in the week. A lot of the times, the prices of the most inaccurate betting line that I think earlier in the week, right, then prices have been steamed and the market rectifies itself. So if any of you don't know that, what happens in all sports, right, and there's no difference in MMA betting, is that when the lines are first released, they're more inaccurate, right? Because the market doesn't have time to correct them lines. And a simple explanation to explain what I mean by that is that the bookmakers have to set hundreds and hundreds of lines for multiple sports, thousands of lines each week, each day, right? And so when they set a line for an MMA fight, for example, a lot of the times that line is quote unquote inaccurate. Now, the bookmakers are pretty good. They're pretty solid. They're probably better than... 99% of MMA bettors out there at setting lines, um, but they still make a hell of a lot of mistakes because there's just a hell of a lot of fights, right? And MMA isn't as accurately capped as other sports yet because it hasn't been around for long enough. A lot of times there's no tape on um, regional fighters, so it's very hard to cap. Uh, and the sport is not as popular as others so the bookmakers don't invest as much money and time into capping them lines, right? That's a brief description on why MMA betting specifically can be a lot more lucrative than other sports if you know what you're doing, but also it's way more volatile than other sports. So I say all that to say this, is that the most inaccurate betting line on the card, or what I think is going to be the most inaccurate betting line on the card earlier in the week a lot of times that line corrects itself because what happens is after the bookmakers put out the line, then the market, which is me and you, we go and bet on that line, right? And if a money is, if an inaccurate line is set, then there are clever people out there like me, like multiple others, lots of my colleagues. I'm not going to start naming them all. There's quite a few out there um, who realize that the lines are inaccurate and they bet on the other fighter, which means the odds change, right? Because if money comes in on a specific side, the odds then naturally change. That's an algorithm that the bookies use in order to correct their inaccurate lines. And by the end of the week, a lot of the lines are fairly accurate, right? So today, it's Friday where I'm in New Zealand, probably Thursday where you are, because it's Thursday in most of the world. Um, by Friday, by Thursday, because the fights are on Saturday, most of the lines are pretty accurate, right? So it is always hard for me to pick the most inaccurate line. But even come Friday and Thursday and Friday, there are still some inaccurate lines, right? And, and that's why I've picked this one, because I do think it's inaccurate. But if you was if you was to speak to me earlier in the week, right? If you was one of my members, for example, I send out picks way earlier in the week usually because that's when you get the better lines. And over a course of a year, two years, if you're getting better lines you will earn drastically much more money than you would have if you're waiting to Friday and Saturday to bet these lines. So if you're waiting to listen to my podcast to get bets, um, you're leaving a lot of money on the table, basically, right? And earlier in the week, Cub Swanson was like minus 170, minus 180. Now he's all the way down to minus 140. So you see what I'm saying with the lines changing. Anyway, I'll get onto the fight now. 
in most in that Carolina on the card, Cub Swanson. Look, I just don't understand how you can make Cub Swanson an underdog here, right? Look, if you want to make him a super slight underdog, minus 120, uh, sorry, plus one, plus 110, I'm not, maybe I won't argue with you. But if you want to make this dude plus 170, now he's plus 140, I'm going to have to stop you in your tracks there because, look, I understand the thought process behind it, right? Giga's surgeon. He's on like a five-fight winning streak, undefeated in the UFC. His only loss was, I think it was in tough or on Dana White and then the series, whatever. He lost to Austin Spring in the third round. It, I believe it wasn't an official UFC fight, so it doesn't get classed as a loss. Um, please correct me on that. As I said, memory's not the greatest. I know that he got tapped out in the third round by Austin Springer, though, right? Since then, he's won every single fight. Did go to a split of Jamal Emmers, but, you know, he's looked pretty dominant in most of his fights. He's a great kickboxer, Giga, Giga Chikatsi, right? And now he's becoming a great MMA fighter. His takedown defense a couple years ago was something um, pretty terrible, in my opinion. Now it seems to be a lot better. He's definitely improved that part of his, of his game. And he better improve that part of his game because it was absolutely shocking at one point, right? He couldn't stuff a takedown to save his life and he couldn't really get up from bottom either. Um, but his kickboxing is elite, right? He keeps you on the edge of edge of range uh, it's very hard to get in on his range and if you do get in on his range he can actually stand in a pocket and throw heavy heavy shots we saw that in his last fight with omar morales right omar morales at times was able to close distance on giga jacazzi for the most of that 15 minute fight he wasn't right he was on the outside getting picked apart giga was doing what giga does giga dropped him um, but there was a couple of times where he was able to close range. Now, when he did do that, Giga bit down on his gum shield, stood in the pocket, threw heavy hooks and hurt Omar Morales. So it seems like he's actually also adapting his game to be more MMA friendly now, because at the end of the day, you're not going to keep someone on the outside in MMA for 15 minutes. Now, look, you can do it. Of course, we see Wonderboy do it. We've seen Giga Jakarzi do it, right? But there's going to be a couple of times, right, at least when the opponent gets in close. And if they're getting close and able to take you down, they might only need one or two times to get to get close to win the fight. So when I say a couple of times in the 15 minutes, a fight is going to get close, that may be all they need to win the fight, right? Because if you if your win condition is predicating on keeping them on the outside, that means that if they get on the inside, they're probably going to be a bit dangerous to you, right? Otherwise, you, want, you wouldn't need to keep them on the outside. So anyway, what I'm trying to say is that Cub Swanson probably only needs to get on the inside a couple times to win this fight. Now, look, this fight breaks down a lot more complex than that, right? And I will get into it. Cub Swanson is an absolute legend of the sport, right? He's 37 years old now, but he still looks to be competing at a decently high level. He knocked out Daniel Pineda after coming through some extreme adversity in his last fight. And he was an underdog in that fight, right? And he's an underdog in this fight as well. And he's underdog in this fight and last fight in fighters that just haven't had that high-level UFC experience. Now, experience is not everything, but let me tell you something. Experience is absolutely huge. So I haven't actually, you know, ripped my betting process down, but I am going to do that, and I am going to release that to the public or maybe just to my members. I'm not really – I haven't really decided yet, but I have a betting process, right? And that basically is number one thing I look at when I'm betting on fighters is the stylistic match of the fight. Right before anything, right, I look at the stylistic matchup of the fighters. How are both fighters' styles going to look like when they fight each other in the octagon 
in the cage on fight night, right? That is number one before anything, right? A fighter could have lost seven fights in a row. But if he's got a good stylistic match or stylistic style <laughs> to beat his upcoming opponent, I may still bet on him, right? Stylistics is number one bar none. Age, reach, experience, forget all of that stuff if you want to make it number one. Number one is stylistics, okay? But number two, in my opinion, is not reach, it's not age. Number two is experience, high-level experience. Who have you fought, right? How many times have we have seen Arlovsky, the veteran, put on a clinic to, to, to fighters who are 12, 13, 15 damn near years younger than him, right? The reason is because... Okay, stylistics is one, right? But sometimes that other fighter seems to have a decent style to beat him. Chase Sherman seemed to have a decent style to beat him, in my opinion. Actually put out more volume than Arlovsky, which is Arlovsky puts out a lot of volume these days, right? Chase Sherman was Arlovsky's last fight, right? Chase Sherman seemed to have a style. He always walked forward. Um, he, he was younger, you know. He, he had the volume style to beat Arlovsky. That's basically what it was, right? He would out-volume Arlovsky, which... Most people don't do these days because he's very good at suppressing volume. Um, but Arlovsky had that experience on him, right? And Chase Sherman, by the way, also was, I think it was like 12 years younger, right? And if someone's 12 years younger, you almost instantly bet them. That's what apparently people tell you, right? And it's true. If someone's younger, most of the time they do win, right? A younger fighter is definitely a better bet than an older fighter if you're just to bet every single fight in the UFC. If you bet the younger fighter, you'll probably win more. Now, you might not win more money because the odds might be skewed in that favor, but you'll probably win percentage will most likely be higher. But as I said, stylistics are number one, and the second is UFC experience. The UFC experience is ridiculously in favor of Cub here, and not just the UFC experience, the level of competition experience. And that's really what I mean by um, you know experience. I'm not really talking about UFC experience because Giga's got, what, five, six fights now? He's got very solid um, experience. But let me tell you something. Take a quick drink there. Let me tell you something. He doesn't have the high-level experience of Cub Swanson. So although he has UFC experience, he doesn't have that high-level experience. And as I say, that's the second thing what I look for. So, look, let me just tell you how I see this fight breaking down. Now, look, I'm not out here saying that Cub is a lock. Cub's going to dominate this fight. This segment, right, is about the most inaccurate betting line on the card. And I don't think you can make Giga a minus 170 favorite, right? I think this fight has to be closer to a pick'em. okay? I understand that because of this point in Cub's career, uh, 37 years old, he lost quite a few in a row. He did get a win recently. Obviously, he lost against the best of the best. Um... Look, I understand, right? Giga could definitely keep him on the outside and hurt him a couple times and just win a 15-minute decision, right? But you can't tell me that happens 65% of the time. You can't tell me he does that to Cubs 65 times, man, out of 100. Like, if you want to tell me he does that 50 times, I'm like, yeah, all right. Once you start getting up to the 60s and now you're getting to 63, 64, I'm like, look, chill out. You know what I mean? That's a lot, you know? Like, look, if you want to call this fight a 50-50, I understand. To be honest, I'd make a Cub a slight favorite. I'd make Cub one, minus 125. I feel like Giga wins this fight about 45% of the time, 40, 46% of the time, 47% of the time. I don't think he wins it 65% of the time, guys. I don't. I don't. Um, I feel like Cub 
has an easy path to victory here if he wrestles. Cub re wrestling is pretty decent. He's pretty strong. And at the end of the day, guys, yeah, Giga seems to have improved his takedown defense, but you can't improve your takedown defense that drastically in two years, right? Maybe if you're John Jones, BJ Penn, one of these just, you know, decade great talents, maybe. But I'm almost certain that Giga Jakartzi still has holes in his wrestling, right? We haven't really seen fighters go and give him that wrestling game plan since he fought Jamal Emmers. And that was a split decision. And that was only two years ago, guys. You know, we've seen him taken down by Austin Springer. We've seen him choked out. Um, and I'm not necessarily making the case for a Cub win here because, as I said, I think Cub does this about 53% of the time. You can make it a pick em damn near. But I'm making a case that this line is so inaccurate, you know. Um, and look, just because it's an accurate line doesn't mean that he's going to win the fight. Like last week, the most inaccurate line I gave out on my podcast was Rodrigo Vargas at plus 200, right? And Rodrigo Vargas actually ended up winning that fight. Um, so. I hope you cashed on that if you listened to it last week because I did. I made a lot of money on that because I also sent my members a play of a plus 450 decision play for Vargas and we also cashed that as well as the money line. So we we made a lot of money there. Hope you made a lot of money here uh, too. And basically I'm uh, what I'm saying is that, look, they're not always going to come in, right, when I'm calling the most inaccurate betting line on the card. But I just feel like that Cubs path to victory is so easy here. I just feel like... Um, Giga has shown to get tired multiple times, right, in his fights. Um, he seemed to slow down against Springer. He got tapped out in the third round two, three years ago. He slowed down against Emmers. Um, there's another fight he fought. He drastically slowed down. I can't really remember now. If he is made to wrestle and if he is pressured uh, by someone who also mixes in takedowns, not like Omar Morales walking forward like a zombie, attempting like one takedown in 15 minutes when you get an absolutely butchered on the feet, then he is basically going to tie. And I feel like Cub can implement that game plan here. Cub is a striker, right? That's what he does. But if you go back and look at his um, record, he's got takedowns in quite a lot of his fights. I think he averages like 1.9 or 1.09, like 1.1 takedowns per 15 minutes. But he's coming up against Giga Jakartzi here. Cub, Cub is a clever guy. He's not like Omar Morales. I feel like if Cubs getting teed teed off on on the feet, which I expect to happen, I feel like he's gonna go for takedowns. I mean, he must do right. Like he's gonna be stupid not to. Now, if he goes out there for fifteen minutes and just doesn't attempt to takedown, then it is what it is. He's gonna lose, and he deserves to lose. But the path to victory is a lot more simple for Cub than it is for Giga Jakarti. Because even if Giga stays on the feet for 15 minutes with Cub, Cub's still going to be able to close distance at times. I think Cub closes pretty hard. And we have seen Giga get pressured a couple of times, uh, or multiple times. And, you know, he does get hit. So if Cub is landing consistently and if giga starts getting tired towards that round that you know that round two that round three i do feel like cubs pressure can get to giga so look this is going to be a great fight like as i said this is could be a damn near 50 50 fight right the reason i'm just talking about cubs path to victory is because this is the most inaccurate betting line on the card so like i am leaning towards 10 year cub wins now let's talk about giga now 
The Giga is the younger fighter. He's the taller fighter. He's the bigger fighter. You know, so he's got all of that going in his uh, favor, which is definitely huge to have. Um, he's definitely a better striker, way more cerebral than Cub. Cub is kind of wild, right? He goes like over the top, throws linging, uh, winging hoops, winging overhands. If you watch that Duho Choi fight, all you see is like huge um, shots coming from random places than... Uh, Duho Choi, right? So he's definitely um, he's definitely a more wild striker than Giga, should we say? Giga has that beautiful straight right hand. He has a great one too. He seemed to have been putting more power into his shots lately. I don't know if I'm skewed by the Omar Morales fight, um, but it does seem that he has a little bit more pop on his punches. He's always got that head kick which could knock anyone out. Um, I don't see Cub getting knocked out with a head kick, you know, but. Anything can happen. Giga's a very high-level kickboxer. He's probably knocked out people who are more higher-level than Cub in the kickboxing, but this is an MMA fight. So, you know, I wouldn't be terribly surprised. Um, what else? G Giga's amazing at, um, at the range game. Giga's very, very good at uh, playing the distance game. He's good at timing the fighters on their way in. And as I said, what he's been adding to his game lately is he's able to bite down his mouth shield and just throw heavy hooks. He wings heavy blows when the fighters do come in the pocket. So he's kind of added that to his game because I feel like a couple years ago when fighters are close distance to him and close distance on him in the pocket, he, he kind of didn't know what to do. He kind of panicked. I feel like he's, he's a lot better now. He doesn't panic as much. And that also may be because he's improved his takedown defense. So maybe he's not as scared as the pocket exchanges as he once was, right? So there you go. You know, that's what I'm saying about Giga. Now, what's something else I wanted to mention about Giga? I can't remember what it was. Oh, yeah. It was the calf kicks. Now, um, we saw Cub get torn apart by them calf kicks against Daniel Pineda. So Giga can definitely implement the calf kicks in this game. Um, and if he does, it could spell damage for Cub Swanson because we saw him badly hurt from them calf kicks in the first round against Pineda. But Cub's a tough mother Cub is a tough motherfucker. And he came for it and ended up knocking, um, knocking Pineda's lights out. So there you go, guys. That's the most inaccurate betting line on the card, I think. I feel like this fight should be a pick em. If you want to make um, Cub a minus 110, I'm happy with that. Uh, sorry, if you want to make Cub a minus 125, I'm happy with that as well. Uh, I just feel like this is a 50-50 fight damn near, guys. You know, I don't think you could be making it plus 140. So for that reason, the value is on Cub, and I'm going to be... Um, I'm going to be saying Cub gets a win, uh, maybe gets a third-round TKO submission. And... I saw the chat pop in here. I will look look at it, catch up with the chat. MMA Prognoser, thank you for listening, bro. Giga isn't Chase. You're very right, bro. I was just making a separate point about... What was I making a point about? Oh, yeah, just completely talking about uh, nothing to do with the fight whatsoever. I was talking about how I cap a fight and how I talk about the stylistics first and then the UFC experience. So um, that's all I was talking about, not comparing the fighters. Oscar, shout out to Oscar for being here. Uh, Cub doesn't wrestle much. Exactly. He doesn't wrestle a lot. And um, that could be his downfall here because I feel like he does need to wrestle in this fight to win the fight. Um, if he doesn't wrestle, as I said earlier, like if he doesn't wrestle, kind of deserves to lose it. But I feel like he's a veteran of the game. He does get takedowns, right? He doesn't wrestle a lot, but I think he averages one takedown attempt per 15 minutes. And that's over fights that, you know, he's fighting grapplers which he's never going to attempt to take down so 
you know, if you check his record, he does attempt two or three takedowns against like high level strikers, which was good to see. Um, but yeah, you're right. He doesn't really, re he's a striker at the end of the day. But I feel like he's clever enough to implement the wrestling here. You know, like a lot of people bet Carl Roberson in his last fight and they said if he shows good fight IQ, he's easily going to win this fight on the feet, right? I actually bet Brendan Allen because I thought, what do you mean? Like, how can you say if he shows good fight IQ? He never shows good fight IQ, right? He's not a clever fighter, so he probably will make a mistake. What happened? He goes for a leg lock with 10 seconds left or whatever and gets leg locked himself. So it's the kind of the opposite here in the fact that I feel like, yeah, Cub, he doesn't wrestle a lot, but I think he's got good fight high Q. So I feel like if he needs to, he will wrestle. And it's not like we've never seen him wrestled. He has wrestled. If you go on UFC stats and just, you know, in as opposed to watching all the tape, you will say that he does attempt uh, takedowns, especially when he's fighting fighters who you think he should attempt takedowns on. So I think he got like a couple takedowns on Frankie Edgar, even though he got taken down a lot of the time. So yeah, you're 100% right. He doesn't wrestle much, but I feel like that he we could see him wrestle here. And, you know, we'll find out on the weekend. MMA prognose a cup getting KO'd? Possibly. Possibly. Oscar saying Giga's youth and range management should win him decision. He's improving quickly. 100%. Definitely improving solidly. MMA prognosa. Okay. Oscar's saying Cubs got hands, though. If anything, he could surprise with a KO, but I'm not seeing that yet. And we saw that against Pineda, right? I feel like Cub was getting uh, kind of beat in that Pineda fight, but he comes out and lands heavy shots. He got hard, hard, hard hands. Giga has better takedown defense than who? Oscar's saying, I just think it's not a good idea to play a fight who hasn't shown he can implement that path to victory consistently. Yeah, man. Like, I, 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 know, I know what you're saying, right? But he doesn't wrestle consistently, but I have seen him wrestle, right? So, like, I wouldn't be playing him if he's never wrestled, right? Because that's kind of what people done last week with Carl Robertson. They're like, oh, and I'm not shitting anyone who bet on Carl Robertson. It just, it's kind of like a, a correlation. That's why I mentioned it. They're like, oh, if he shows good fight IQ, he's basically never shown good fight IQ. Even in the fights he's won, he's winning against, like, um, strikers and stuff, so he doesn't need to show that good fight IQ. Cole Robertson, like, almost never shows good fight IQ. It's not like Cub never shows grappling, right? He has shown grappling. Um, he has te got takedowns before. So that's why – and it's a line at the end of the day, right? If this was um, a pick'em, then I'd be like, ah, oh, you know. But because it's a plus 140 at the moment, I'm willing to take that shot. So it, it's, it's really all about the line, you know. So it's not really about Cub not showing wrestling consistently. It's about – the line being off, in my opinion, because Cub can wrestle, right? And I'm not only banking on him to wrestle. I do feel like he can pressure Giga more than he's ever been pressured before. And I do think he has a way better gas tank than Giga. And if Giga starts to tire, um, it could spell very bad. But yeah, 100% understand what you're saying. And everyone's got different styles of betting, right? So if that's not your style, you need to see it consistently for you to bet on it, then fair enough, you know. And I would too, if the line wasn't where it is. Oscar saying you are sharp. We'll see. Thank you, bro. Appreciate that. So the next fight uh, we're going to be talking about is the main event, right? And this is funny because this was the most exciting fight on the card, in my opinion. And why not? I mean, it's Jiri Prochaska. It's obviously the most exciting fight on the card. But I was already talking about that in the main event section. So I couldn't talk about that. 
So then my most next exciting fight on the card is Cub Swanson versus Giga Jakarzi. But I couldn't talk about that because I was talking about that in my most inaccurate line section. So I ended up with Dustin Jacoby versus Kutalaba. And I think they're actually in order of one, two, three on the card. So I feel like, I think um, the main event is Dominic Jury. I know that. And then the co-main event is Cub Giga. I know that. And then the fight before that is actually... Jacoby Kutalaba. So when we get to the end of this card, the last three fights are going to be absolute bangers of fights. So I, I can't I can't wait. And I definitely can't wait for this one. This is the main event. At the moment, Dominic Reyes is an underdog. Maybe a little bit surprising to hear that, but probably not after Jiri's debut. Uh, Dominic Reyes is a plus 110 underdog and Jiri Prochatska is a... What is Jiri? He's a minus 140 favorite. I feel like this should be a pick 'em. I don't think you can make Dominic an underdog, but look, it's not it's not a huge disparity, right? Dominic's plus one ten instead of minus one ten. Jury's minus one forty instead of minus one ten. So it's nothing too huge. The line is fairly accurate. Don't think there's any I don't think there's any value on either line. Um look, I would be betting Reyes here if Jury didn't scare me in his last fight. Well, I shouldn't say that, right? Because I don't not bet or bet when I'm scared of outcomes. I've tried to be better at that this year because one thing I noticed last year is that I kind of didn't bet. I didn't bet on fires because I was scared of an outcome, right? And me and my boy Z from Z's MMA, pardon me, um, spoke about that often, right? We was kind of scared on some outcomes, so we didn't um, back fighters, right? And that's kind of what's happening here but i also can see jerry knocking him out at a decent clip just because of what we've seen in dominic reyes's last fight um but the more i think about it the more i feel like i kind of should be back in dominic here out of principle but i do rate that jerry could definitely i i think jerry's got extreme power like to for jerry to do what vulcan owes to me for Jury to do what he done to Volkan Ozdemir, that kind of opened my eyes out, right? Because basically, I backed Volkan Ozdemir, right? Um, at like minus 150, which I thought was a great line on a fighter who had extreme UFC experience. And Volkan Ozdemir, before that fight, was known for his chin. Volkan Ozdemir's chin was amazing. Absolutely unbelievable before that fight, right? I mean, it still probably is, right? It's just coming against Jury. But his chin was was amazing. That's the reason I backed him because I knew he would get hit, but I thought he'd be able to to take the shot. And I knew Jiri's chin wasn't that great. And I think we kind of saw that in the um, Vulcan fight because Jiri got dropped in that fight to one knee at one point. He got hurt on another occasion. Um, but the point I'm trying to make is that I actually bet on Vulcan Ovstamir, right? And there's a reason I bet on him, right? It's because I didn't rate Jiri extremely highly. But what I... What I miscalculated on that bet, right? And what you should always do is you should look at your bets that you lose and the, the bets that you win, and you should see what you what your thinking process or what your thought process was wrong. You know, what was wrong about your thought process during those bets. And one of the things that was wrong about my thought process during that Vulcan bet is that I didn't think Jury's power, or I thought Jury's power that I had seen on the regional scene in Rising was overrated because of the fighters he was fighting, right? So he was fighting CB Dolloway. He was fighting um, King Mo. He was fighting fighters that are completely past it. Now, he has got some decent fighters on his record. Vadim Nenkov, he, he defeated um, via retirement. Um, so he has got some good fighters on his record, but 
he was fighting a lot of nobodies, a lot of past it fighters, a lot of, you know, fair, fairly low level fighters compared to Vulcan Ozdemir, right? And I thought that the power we had seen from Jiri, which was extreme power, was maybe a little bit less because he's got great power and a little bit more because of the fighters he was fighting. I was wrong. Jiri actually just has immense power. He's probably the hardest hitter in the light heavyweight division. Jiri's power is, is crazy. He was jabbing Vulcan Ozdemir, and Vulcan Ozdemir seemed visibly hurt, right? And I've never seen that from Vulcan before. I've seen Vulcan take, take huge bombs from Rakic, from even Cormier hit him a couple of times. Who else has Vulcan fought? Vulcan's fought a lot of people, man. I can't really remember now, but he, he, he's took heavy shots, right? His chin is, he kind of relied on his chin a lot of the time, right? But against Jiri, he was getting badly hurt. So that's kind of what keeping me off Dominic Reyes' money line here because I feel like Jiri could badly, badly hurt Dominic very early. It's hard to get a read on Jiri's movements. He moves in and out of range. He throws his hands up in a karate stance. He touches his own knee. It basically looks like he's dancing, looks like he's dancing in the octagon. And then he throws like heavy shots. I mean, it's extremely hard to get a read on this guy, especially in the first or second rounds. And that's probably his path to victory. First or second round um, KO. You know, that's why I was going to choose it as the most exciting fight on the card because it's probably going to be a first or second round KO to either guy. Now, I'm going to lean with... Um, Reyes a little bit just because I think he's got the better skill set to win rounds, but I don't really think that's going to come into play here. I do predict a knockout, so I don't really think you can take too much into stock of who's the better quote-unquote round winner because I don't really think it's going to come into play. I do think some of them, someone's getting a knockout. Um, Jury holds his head up high. Striking defense is piss poor. Um, he almost doesn't have it. Dominic Reyes has very good counters on the back foot. Someone posted up on Twitter the other day, Dominic Reyes' highlights of him countering fighters on the back foot, and they were amazing, you know. Um, he stepped back and knocked out Chris Weidman, stepped back and damn near knocked out Jared Cannonier with that uppercut, stepped back and um, knocked out OSP at the end of the round, even though it was classed as a decision win. So, you know, his step-back counters are... Very good. And he's going to be able to use them in this fight because Jury's going to be the one pressuring. Jury's going to be dancing in front of him, throwing heavy shots. So his step back counter is definitely going to be there. And I can see him step back countering Jury and knocking him the fuck out. Right. I definitely could see Dominic Reyes knocking Jury out in the first round. And fuck it. That's a bit of a hot take. Maybe not really because Jury, you know, he always brings the fight. He's always open. I don't know if it's a hot take, um, but I'm going to go with that. Um, that's my final prediction. Dominic Reyes to get a first-round KO and wake the world up here. Now, I'm calling this fight a pick -em, guys. So it's kind of like the Cubs want some fight. I'm calling this fight a pick -em. Maybe you could lean um, Dominic Reyes as a minus 125 or something. Jiri plus 110. And could be it. But yeah, pick -em fight in my opinion. I'm predicting Dominic Reyes to get a first-round KO, but... Who knows how this fight's going to play out? Absolute amazing fight. Great main event, in my opinion. I'll catch up with the chat, and then I'll be off. Oscar's saying, hard fight to call, and the line reflects it. Go with the props. Agreed. Fight doesn't go to distance will be juiced, but it's close to a sure thing. Agreed. Under 1.5 is a ri bit risky. Under 2.5 will be much better. Like the way you're thinking, bro. Oscar's saying Prochatska is a kill-be-kill dude. He's going to force the fight 100%.
he's not letting his fight go to decision. I don't even think he knows what a decision is, right? He's going to come. He's going to push push the pace. He's going to be in Dominic Reyes' face. And it's going to be up to Dominic Reyes, right, whether he sink or swims in that. He's going to try and swim, of course, but we're going to see what happens. Jiri can get an absolute brutal knockout like he did in his last fight. Jiri could get absolutely brutally knocked out like he did against King Mo, you know. I feel like he can get hurt. I feel like they've both shown that they can get hurt now. Um, but, yeah, I'm, my final prediction is going to be Dominic Reyes by first-round KO. Um, most most inaccurate line on the card. My final prediction for the Cubs Swanson fight is going to be Cubs Swanson to get a third round submission. Put some money on that. What's that like? Plus five thousand or something nuts. Most exciting fight on the card: Dustin Jackie versus Ionko Tulaba. Man, all these fights that I'm saying are extremely close. My final prediction, because I have to give a prediction, even though I don't want to give a prediction on any of these fights, I have to do it. Um, final prediction is going to be Ion Kutalaba to win via first round ground and pound. So that's it, guys. The end of the lucrative MMA betting podcast. If you want to sign up with my handicapping service, we are crazy in profit this year. We're above 30 units already. We're only in April, about to turn into May. We're projected to have a very solid year. Projected to have about a plus 70 unit year. Last year, we had plus 60 unit. The year before that, we had plus 99 unit. I've been earning money on MMA betting for multiple years now, three or four years tracked. Uh, three years tracked. This is my third year. And, well, it's two years tracked because it was the end of 2018 I came in, 2019. If you want to sign up with me, guys, you will earn money listening to my picks, basically. It's as simple as that. Um, I'm third-party tracked on betmma.tip, so I cannot fake my record. Nowhere to hide. You can check my record. You, you can check how I've bet for the last two years. Go to the links in my bio, lucrativemmabetting.com. I'll have all the information on there. You can check my results. You can check my website for all the different packages I have. Any issues, send me a DM on Twitter. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, all of that good stuff. And I'll be back next week for the Lucrative MMA Betting Podcast. And I will be going live tomorrow on MMA Lock of the Night show to break down the full card. Um, and yeah, we'll be talking about every single fight on the card and hopefully be making you some money. So that is Friday at 9 p.m. EST time if you want to join me. Good luck on all your bets and we'll see you tomorrow or next week.